the help of the Lord, I want to share a message uh, in particular as a response to the question, if Jesus is the only God, to whom did he pray? If Jesus is the only God, to whom did he pray? Over the years, I've understood that this question is a challenge for many uh, Christians who believe in the one God doctrine. And this is, you know, understandable uh, because there are even among one God believers uh, different explanations and it is easy to uh, become a bit confused. So today we'll just let the Spirit of the Lord lead us and help us to understand uh, from the scriptures uh, who to whom did Jesus pray? If there is only one God, uh, who is he praying to? So that's the question. Let's begin to answer this question and let's turn to the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Romans 8 and verse 26. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the purpose of these podcasts uh, is to help those who are struggling with uh, issues related to the One God Doctrine. And uh, it is our prayer and vision to make as many podcasts available on our website so that uh, you can just forward the link to anyone who asks you about these questions. And uh, we trust that the Lord will bring the understanding through these messages. Jesus bless you as you pray for these podcasts. And those who uh, download these podcasts, wherever you are in the world, and if you are blessed and God is giving you the understanding, please do send it to someone else. So, uh, because that is uh, the command of the Lord that, you know, the Bible says when the apostles found the Lord, they went and uh, brought their friends and their brothers to the Lord. So this is how the word of God spreads, praise God. So let's turn to the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. The Apostle Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Amen. Please have a look carefully at the scripture. The Apostle Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for, as we ought. We Christians pray. But according to the apostles, Apostle Paul, we really don't know what we should pray for, as we should. But he says, the Spirit itself Make it intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus comes into us and begins to pray through us. Intercession, you see, that means basically between two people. So God takes up position in us and he begins to pray for us. And the question is to whom? And this is what we need to study today. So in answering the title of the sermon, we first need to demonstrate that God is one and indivisible. Not only is God one, most Trinitarians will tell you, yes, God is one. But at the same time, they divide the Godhead, into God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. That is not the meaning of, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
When Moses said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, he is speaking about a mathematical one, an indivisible one. It is sin to divide God, to make a plurality of gods. It is blasphemy. And the doctrine of Trinity, let it be clear. We say this not because we are, you know, interested in and antagonizing any Trinitarians, but we must hate falsehood. If you love the truth, you must hate falsehood. And any doctrine which challenges the truth of the existence of God as one is falsehood, and we must um, despise it. We must warn against it. We don't want people to believe and something about God that is not true. So we need to first demonstrate that God is one and indivisible, and that the Lord Jesus himself is the Holy Spirit. How can we do that? Well, let me say that Israel is the root of the Christian church. Can we say amen? The church is not the root of Israel. Israel is the root of the church. And Israel has is the only country, the only people who have known God and know that he exists as one and by himself. God even told them through Isaiah, you are my witnesses. Which other country has God entrusted the Ten Commandments. Which other people did he proclaim to and say, teach your children that he is one? Only Israel. So the first advice we should give anybody who wants to know whether God is one or two or three is to talk to Israel. And I can assure you, there is no Israeli, there is no Jew who believes in a trinity. The Jews may be partially blind when it comes to Jesus, but trust you me, they have 2020 vision when it comes to the revelation of how many gods exist. Only one God. Hallelujah. If you believe God is one, you're an Israelite, a spiritual Israelite. Can you say I'm a spiritual Israelite? You would be very comfortable with Moses. But if you believe in a trinity, you will not be comfortable with Moses. You will not be comfortable with Israel as a nation. So the, the people who God first chose, who had the priesthood and the Ten Commandments and the Ark of the Covenant and the sacrifices and the prophets and the law, these people believed God is one and alone. There is no divisions in him. Praise God. Hallelujah. So we, we love Israel because of this. They have a covenant with God. God never makes a covenant with people who believe that he's two or three or four. God has no such covenant with the, with the pagans or people who multiply the godhood. But with Israel, he keeps returning to Israel. When Jesus returns to the earth, brothers and sisters, he will not return to New York. He will not return to London or Tokyo. He returns to Jerusalem. He returns to the country and the city and the place, the people who always declared that God is one. Amen. If we want to see God, we better believe God is one or we will not see him. In Zechariah 14 verse 9, the Bible says, In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. Now, we know that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is not one name. But we know the name Jesus is one name. Hallelujah. See, Zechariah 14, 9, if we can put up the scripture, have a look at it. What does it say? In that day, you shall know that there is one Lord and his name one. What does that mean? It means everybody will know that God exists alone. Not as a trinity. Why? Because he has only one name. 
Even Trinitarians will tell you that the Trinity has three names. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. But what does Zechariah say? Zechariah said, in that day, the Lord, he said, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. This proves there has never been a trinity. And when God returns, he will return as the one God, Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. This is not the topic today, but we first need to establish it in order to know to whom Jesus prayed. Amen. Because we believe the Spirit is Jesus. Jesus prayed through us. And we will discuss this. So, let's turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Mark 12, verse 29. The Bible says, and Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one Lord. That's why I said, when it comes to one God, I'm an Israelite. Amen. When it comes to the one God, may we all be Israelites. You know, we hear Christians say, I believe in Trinity. That's hero Greece. Hear, O Greece and Rome. The Lord your God is the Trinity. But hero Israel. <laughs> The Lord our God, the Lord is one. I'm not from Greece, spiritually speaking. I'm not from Rome, spiritually speaking. Because these doctrines were made in those countries. I'm from Israel, spiritually speaking. Amen. My spiritual citizenship, when it comes to how many gods there are, is Israel. I have an Israeli passport in that sense, spiritually speaking. Because I will and always will believe God is one. Indivisibly one. Like Moses, like Abraham, like David, like Hosea, hallelujah, like Hezekiah, like Nehemiah, like Daniel, like Jesus himself. Jesus is God. And he says, when he's asked how many gods there are, he said, hear, O Israel. Because it appears only Israelis can hear. If you're not an Israeli, you can't hear. Hear, O Israel. Shema Israel, hallelujah. May God give you Israeli ears to hear. Amen. Let's all bless our ears today. Tell your ear today you are from Israel. <laughs> You're an Israeli ear. Amen. Hear, O Israel. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. When you believe God is one, your, your hearing is from Israel. You're an Israelite. Amen. If you believe in a trinity, you're, you're, you're Greek. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to say this in a bad way to, about Greece. God bless the Greek people. There are many people who believe in one God in Greece. Amen. Let's not forget the Apostle Paul was ministering to the Greeks and the Greeks forsook all their gods, uh, Zeus and Apollos and Aphrodite and Diana and etc, etc. And they believe Jesus is the only one God. Amen. Praise God. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.16, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh and Timothy was half Greek. Praise God. So we know these things, but happy are we if we keep talking about it. Otherwise, the devil will come and take it away from us. So you see, we need to make sure our foundation is secure. Amen. Praise God. Let's continue. So we need to understand after we believe God is one, that this one God is also the Holy Spirit. This one God came in the flesh. And when he put on flesh, his Holy Spirit, his spirit, which is he himself, entered into that flesh. Where is God today? Let's say he is in his own body. Amen. He's in his own body. What is his name today? His name is Jesus. Let's read John 14, verse 18. We will look at three scriptures. We know this, but we... Keep repeating it for the sake of new people, because our job is not to just keep convincing the old people. We want to reach new people. Let's read John 14, verse 18. The Bible says, the Lord, uh, it says in John 14, 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Who came on the day of Pentecost? Jesus came on the day of Pentecost. Who is the comforter? 
Jesus is the comfort. Some people think when Jesus said, I will send you another comforter, that that is another God. God, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Ghost. No. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He didn't say, I will send the third member of the Trinity to you. I will come to you. So who is the comforter? Jesus is the comforter. When did he come back unto them? On the day of Pentecost, praise God. Amen. That's why Jesus went straight for the mouth of Peter. Because it was him who chose Peter to be the leader of the church. So when Jesus came back as the Holy Ghost, he opened his mouth to preach Acts 2.38. Amen. So, we have other scriptures which also identify the Lord Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 says, And because, no, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 says, Now the Lord is that Spirit. Notice what he's saying. The Lord. Who is the Lord? Jesus is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Praise God. Who is the Spirit? The Holy Ghost? Say the Lord. Who is the Lord? Jesus. So here we have a scripture that directly identifies the Lord Jesus as the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us cite one more scripture to prove Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And then we can continue with our topic for today. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Notice which Spirit has been sent into our hearts. It's not a third member of a so-called Trinity. It is the Spirit of His Son. What is the name of the Son of God? His name is Jesus. It is the Spirit of Jesus which has been sent into our hearts today. Amen. So clearly, these three scriptures prove beyond a shadow of doubt that the Spirit we have received is none other than the, the Spirit that dwelt in the Son of God, Jesus. Amen. Now, let's go on to consider why this one God, Jesus, paid for us. Let's now return once again back to Romans 8 verses 26 and 27. And let's read Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27. Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Look carefully at these two scriptures. So according to the Apostle Paul, we are unable to pray as we ought. In other words, there is a certain quality and standard that God expects in prayer. Something that we fallen humans are unable to attain to. It may sound a bit strange to you, but, but listen. Remember how Adam and Eve would commune, would commune with God Every day in the cool of the day in the garden. They had untrammeled access to God. There was a communication that was unique. The fall, sin, disrupted this communication. And ever since, humans have been struggling to commune with God, to talk with God. So, this is the first problem. We are not able to pray as we should. According to that 
high standard and calling of God, that fervency, that intensity. To compound this problem, we do not seem capable of praying according to God's will. Amen. Just think about most prayers in the world today. They're about me, myself, and I. And when we become a bit more generous, we include our family and our friends. And then we come back again to me, myself, and I. For us, that's what prayer has become. But that is not what prayer is, according to Jesus, according to the word of God. You see, this is why God, in his mercy, intercedes through us. We should rejoice and say, oh, hallelujah. I don't have to pray alone. I don't have to rely on my feeble voice, my lack of passion, my spiritual fervency. God is coming to pray through me. Praise God. Amen. That should excite us. Jesus enters into his people and fulfills the criteria of prayer for us. Did you know that you can pray according to the high standards of God? The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer for righteous man and woman. Amen. Accomplisheth much, achieveth much. Amen. How do we pray fervently? It's not easy. But with God, all things are possible. The Spirit of Jesus wants to come into you and me. And pray through us. Hallelujah. That's why Paul said. In Romans 8.26. But the spirit itself. Can somebody say the spirit itself. Intercede. Maketh intercession. Who is interceding? What is intercession? It is to pray on somebody else's behalf. Who is praying on our behalf? Who is praying on the world's behalf? Who is praying on the behalf of lost souls? Can we say the spirit of Jesus? Amen. You see, all the Lord Jesus needs is permission to occupy our bodies and our souls. We are the temple of God. And then he will intercede through us. One thing we first need to understand is that there is a principle of intercession that God cannot compromise. This principle is without sincere and fervent intercession. The will of God cannot be accomplished upon this earth. Amen. I'm trying to answer the question. Why does the spirit come into us and pray through us? And to whom is he praying? We will come back to that. It's not just a matter of to whom is he praying. We need to understand why does he pray through us in the first place? Amen. Hallelujah. You see, we must understand that before God saves, before God does anything big on this earth, he needs someone to understand what salvation means. He needs somebody who knows how to pray because nothing can move God like prayer. Nothing. Do you, you know what is God's, I hate to use the word, but what is God's weakness? If you understand what I mean. It's when he sees tears. When he sees somebody crying. Somebody broken. I say weakness because remember King Ahab? When King Ahab knew, the prophet came to him and told him, you are dead. God is going to kill you because of what you did to uh, this poor man. You you know took away his, uh, his vineyard and killed him. And because of Jezebel, his wife, isn't it? You know what Ahab did? Ahab was an evil, wicked man. But I'll tell you one thing. He knew something that many Christians don't know today. That when the judgment of God is hanging over someone's head, there is a way to... There is a... Can we, I hate to use the term, but you understand what I mean. There is a weakness with God. And that is, if you really know how to cry, and I'm not talking about crocodile tears here. I'm talking about sincere, fervent, heartfelt 
repentance. That's what happened to Ahab. A spirit of repentance grabbed him, you know, gripped him with sackcloth and ashes. And even God could not judge him. I mean, there was nobody who deserved judgment better than Ahab. I'm sure all the righteous people were shaking their heads, looking at God and saying, what? What? <laughs> but let me tell you, God is a God if he sees a broken heart. He can't judge a broken heart. Ah, he's good. <laughs> His mercy endures forever. He is good. His mercy endures forever. He's a righteous judge, but he's also a God of mercy. That's what we mean by mercy. If you know how to pray and cry, God can't touch you. God will bring his, his it's in, in his character. He can't change himself in that sense. So God wants tears. He wants to see a broken heart. He's attracted to a broken heart. He's always there where there is repentance and weeping and intercession and tears. So this is what happened. The whole Bible is filled with such stories. Do you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, God, why don't you just go straight to Sodom and Gomorrah? You would think that God would have been intoxicated with anger and say, I'm fed up of this place. I'm going to overthrow these cities in my anger. You know what he did? He goes to Sodom and Gomorrah through <laughs> Abraham. This tells you that God is looking desperately for an intercessor. He has no joy in going straight to the place of judgment. Ah, we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, but let me tell you, right now, Jesus is somehow just able to wait. He wants to see intercession, although the wickedness is increasing in this world. Jesus is in no hurry to go to his judgment seat. Let's not portray Jesus like some bloodthirsty, you know, king who is full of bloodlust, like some common dictator, like a Hitler, or what it, God forbid, a Saddam Hussein, or Idi Amin, or whatever, or as Joseph Stalin. Our God does not like judgment. He made it clear in the book of Ezekiel. He doesn't want to judge the wicked. He would rather hear somebody weeping, groaning. Hallelujah. <laughs> May God help us, amen, to understand this. Because sometimes we look around and we are looking for the judgment of God. What if we were the sinners? What if we were the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? What if we were King Ahab? What if we were the people who are blinded by sin? I would wish there was an Abraham who would cry more strongly and would fight more for me in Sodom and Gomorrah. Come on, Abraham. Hallelujah. Come on, Abraham. The best friend of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah was Abraham. Hallelujah. Are you the best friend of the people in your city when you see sin dancing around in your city? When you see sin all over the place? Instead of just praying and looking for the judgment of God, why don't we become intercessors like Abraham? Why don't we be like Christ, amen, who wants to intercede through us with moanings and groanings? That is, that is the cost of, of moving God, amen. Ah, oh, hallelujah. I know how much. These sins pain you, my God. I know, hallelujah. But have mercy. Have mercy, O oh God. Ah, praise God. He said he would have mercy and not judgment. But go and understand the meaning of this. Jesus came for mercy, not for judgment. And that is what 
this prayers of Jesus is about. You say, how can God himself pray through us to himself? He prays because he wants mercy. He doesn't want anyone to die. He will do anything in his power. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed in such a way that his the sweat was like drop like drops of blood. That is how fervently and intensely Jesus prayed for us. Ah, oh, hallelujah. We cannot begin to imagine how much Jesus loves us. How much he loves a sinner. How much he loves a sinner. He sweated big drops that looked like blood for them. And then he gave his blood for them. And he's still interceding through us for them today. Jesus will do everything in his power. If we allow him to. To save sinners. To bring people to a knowledge of him. Hallelujah. Let's not forget this. Let's not forget this. So you see throughout the Bible. Let's read. Genesis chapter 18 verse 32. Genesis 18 verse 32. The Bible said and he said. This is Abraham. Oh let not the Lord be angry. See. If God was angry because of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham says. Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak yet but this once. Her adventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. Ah, oh, hallelujah. Praise God. May God give us the spirit of Abraham. Abraham was not just praying for Lot. He's praying for the sinners. He knew there are not ten people there. Or he hoped. There would be at least 10 people. Had he known there were not even 10 people, he would keep negotiating with God, please. Hallelujah. You know, Abraham knew that God would save Lot. Why? Because Lot is a righteous man. He's really not praying for Lot. He's praying for the sinners. He's risking the anger of God. Because he knows God... Doesn't like the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. But still pray for them. Still moan and groan for them. Still risk the anger of God for them. Amen. What about the great teacher of the law, Ezra? This man was overwhelmed with the spirit of prayer. He plucked his beard because of the sins of Israel in Babylon. Let's read Ezra chapter 9 verses 3 and 4. The book of Ezra, chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. Ezra says, And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and off my beard and sat down astonished. Then were assembled unto me everyone that trembled at the words of the God of Israel. Because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. Here you have another example of a man. Through whom the spirit of God began to intercede for the people of Israel. Because the people of Israel were unable to intercede for themselves. To pray for themselves. To cry for themselves. You see. In the history of the Bible, we read of so many people like this. I could talk about Esther. I could talk about Daniel. 21 days he fasted and cried for his people. You see, all these people are pointing to Jesus. Because if you ask, why did God have to pray for us? Why is God praying through, coming through the Holy Ghost, praying through us today? Well, because... In order for God to do great things, to save, to deliver, it needs great prayers. Amen. It needs moanings and groanings which cannot be uttered. And you know what? Yes, in the history of the Bible, there were some people upon whom God laid such a burden. But listen carefully to me now. 
when it comes to the salvation of humanity, there is nobody who can pray for us except Jesus. Amen. Can you, do you understand now the message? Why God had to come and pray for us? Daniel could pray for Israel. Ezra could pray for his people. But who is going to pray for the whole world? Who, who has enough burden for the whole world? Who has a burden for 1.3 billion Chinese people and 1.2 billion Indian people? Who? Only the spirit of Jesus, brothers and sisters. Only the spirit of Jesus. We should not blame Christian leaders. Even I am guilty of being impatient. But God has told me, who, why do you blame? They are not Jesus. They don't have burden. They are limited. They only have burden for their country. They only have burden for their people, for their family. Only Jesus has a burden for the whole world. Only Jesus is the father of everybody. We need to look to Jesus. We need to cry for the Chinese through Jesus. We need to cry for the South Americans through Jesus. We need to cry, hallelujah, for the Europeans through Jesus. You know, sometimes I've seen young children doing bad things and I, I want to cry and say, where are their parents? Don't they care for them? In the same way, when you see the, the spiritual depravity of the world today, I look at them and say, who is the father of these people? Who made these people? And the answer is always Jesus. Jesus made them. Only Jesus loves them. Hallelujah. <laughs> when I went to Nepal, I was looking around. And I looked at many things that I felt sad about. And I went to the hotel room and I told Jesus, you are their father, Jesus. I, I don't know much about Nepal, but I, I don't know what they say about themselves. I'm sure they're proud of their history. I'm sure they're proud. They were telling me about their history. But I told Jesus, you are their father. You are their God. You made them. Hallelujah. You have a glorious future for the people of Nepal. You have a glorious future for the people of Egypt. You have a glorious people, a future for the people of Ivory Coast. This is how we must understand the gospel, brothers and sisters. God has no country. God only made humans in his image. He never made countries in his image. He made humans in his image. He's not coming back for countries. He's coming back for souls in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Let's look at souls. Don't look at skin colors. Don't look at their religions. Don't look at the boundaries that they put up. In that day, in that day, they shall be one Lord and his name one. Amen. All souls are mine, God said. Hallelujah. They don't belong to nations. They don't belong to governments. They don't belong to militaries. They don't belong to philosophies. They belong to Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Let the Christian never forget this. Because it will affect how you witness to people. Amen. All God's purposes are accomplished through prayer and intercession. Amen. God will not do anything without prayer and intercession. In regard to our salvation, only the prayers of God himself, who is Jesus, were found to be efficacious. What prayer is effective for the whole world? Only the prayers of Jesus. Hmm, hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Where did Jesus pray for all of us? Say in the Garden of Gethsemane. Neither Abraham, nor Noah, nor Daniel, nor Esther, or anyone else was found worthy to pray for us. Amen. Their prayers were weak. They could not pray for the salvation of humanity. Who prayed for the salvation of humanity? Say Jesus. Say Jesus. He prayed for me. He prayed for me. Why should this be difficult to understand? 
Did Jesus not tell Peter? I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. The question is, so Jesus, you prayed for me. To whom did you pray? You know, the answer is simple. He's the only God. It's like if he was on his throne, he came down from his throne, he prayed for us, and the prayers went back to his throne, and he went back to the throne to receive his own prayer. Hallelujah, man. That now is the time to shout hallelujah. So where are my prayers? Where are the prayers of Jesus going back to? To his throne. Who receives it? He goes back to his throne. See what a wonderful God we have. He came from his throne. He prayed and cried for us. And he went back to his throne to receive all the prayers back to himself. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. If this doesn't excite us, nothing will excite us. I'm happy that my advocate is also my judge. Eh? Is there a person who is a lawyer and at the same time the judge? Yes, his name is Jesus. Is there a person who can cry and pray for me and then he goes to the throne and says, I accept your prayer. It's only Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. This is the mystery of prayer. Yes. The prayers of God go back to himself. Amen. Otherwise, you have to believe in the Trinity. You know what the Trinity says? Okay. If you don't accept what I'm saying, that the prayers of Jesus go back to himself, then listen to this. Let's say we accept the explanation of the Trinity. What does the Trinity say? When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, God the Son was praying to God the Father. Is that the explanation you want? Who is Jesus praying to? This answer is wrong. Simply because on the basis of the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are all equal, co-equal. Well, if that is true, Mr. Trinitarian, Mrs. Trinitarian, then please listen. I say with love. If they're equal, why would one God pray to another God? You see, it's always the case that the lesser prays to the greater, isn't it? The one who is weak prays to the one who is strong. Yeah? So, if God the Son is praying to God the Father, it means God the Son is weak. He's in trouble. What kind of God is that? No, no, no. We don't accept such a doctrine. Let's try another explanation. The explanation given by some oneness Pentecostals. We don't call ourselves oneness, by the way. We call ourselves one God, believe. Because the term one God is in the Bible. Oneness is not in the Bible. It's a philosophy. Let me explain what the oneness says. And I say this with love, but this is an erroneous doctrine that is also preached by uh, churches like the United Pentecostal Church. What do they say? Well, they say that within Jesus, see, they believe in one God and they're trying to explain who is praying to who. So they say within Jesus, the human nature was praying to the divine nature. What? Just a moment. Did we hear that correct? Within Jesus, there are two natures. The human nature and the divine nature. The human nature is praying to the divine nature. I'm sorry, but this is a schizophrenic Jesus. That Jesus is not in the Bible. You see, in one person, you should have one nature. One person prays. You don't have one nature in a person praying to another nature. This is a philosophy. Pagan philosophy. You know where this came from? It came from the Council of Chalcedon in AD 451. It was a pope called Pope Leo I who invented this doctrine. He gave these terms, dual nature. It's not in the Bible. And the United Pentecostal Church are still believing in this. The United Pentecostal Church, to their credit, rejected the outcome of the Council of Nicaea in AD 325 and the Council of Constantinople in 381 AD. Together, they basically gave us the doctrine of the Trinity. They rejected it. And they always talk about these councils, but 
they never talk about AD 451 and the Council of Chalcedon, where they talked about two natures in Jesus. And their leader, David Bernard, their main theologian, is the one who propagates this doctrine that within Jesus, one nature is praying to another nature. Doesn't make sense. This is, sorry, it's nonsense. One, can you imagine in one person, one nature praying to another nature? That means within Jesus, there are two different persons, two natures. One is human, one is, what kind of coexistence is this? Two wills are in Jesus, two persons are in Jesus. None of this is in the Bible. So what does the Bible say? Let's go back to what the apostles were teaching. What did the apostles teach? What did Jesus say about the apostles? In Luke chapter 10 and verse 16, Luke 10 verse 16, Jesus said, he that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. So, I plead with you. Look, we are not uh, trying to, uh, with sophistry or, uh, you know, with our powers of persuasion, try to make you listen to us. We are saying, listen to the apostles. What did the apostles say? I just read to you Romans 8, 26. The apostle Paul explains what is happening. He said, but the spirit itself make it intercession. Who is praying in us? Who is praying? Jesus is praying. Jesus is the Holy Ghost. Let's say the Spirit makes intercession. Amen. Jesus even said in the Garden of Gethsemane, the flesh is weak, but the Spirit is willing. In other words, who is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? The Spirit. That's what the Bible is saying. But philosophers are telling us something else. Trinitarians, UPC, all have their own doctrine. But the apostle, the doctrine of the apostles is the spirit itself make it intercession. Amen. I don't want a human nature making intercession for me. I don't want one God making intercession to another God. I want the spirit to make intercession for me. As Paul said. So once we understand that, amen. When we pray in the spirit, when somebody is gripped in the spirit and you're crying for someone else, Jesus is in you. The Spirit is in you. The Comforter is in you. He is making intercession for somebody through you. Let's say what the Bible says. The Spirit make it intercession. The Spirit itself, say itself. It didn't say human nature, divine nature. The Spirit itself, praise God. Amen. Because only the Spirit can make intercession. Having said this, let's go to Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. This Bible study cannot just be about me. I could finish this sermon in two, five seconds by saying, Jesus, the one God prayed for us and his prayers went back to himself. That's it. Finish. We've answered the question. <laughs> That's not really how God wants us to understand his work of intercession on this earth. It's a powerful topic. It must be approached with sensitivity. We must do justice to the love of Jesus, which makes him intercede the way he has done. Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5 says, Isaiah explained these prayers of Jesus. He even began by saying, who has believed our report? That means no, nobody understands his ministry. Because in Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5, he said, surely he had borne our griefs. Somebody say, surely he bore our griefs. Griefs? Yes. All your pain, your tears. He says, and carried our sorrows. When? He started it from the day he was born on this earth. Amen. Why was Jesus here for 30 years? Well, he was sighing. He was he began the work of reconciliation, atonement. Amen. All of that propitiation. He began all of that from the day the word was made flesh. And he came in the spirit and continued that work. 
You see, it said, yet we did esteem him. We misunderstood what Jesus did. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But, listen to Isaiah, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Praise God. Amen. This background is important if we are to understand the struggle of the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is where the Lord took the collective rebellion of humanity against the will of God since Adam and Eve. Did you know that? Why did Jesus enter into this struggle? He wrestled ferociously with the insubordinate will, rebellious will of humanity. And he brought it to submission under his authority in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will. Who is this not my will? Are we to say that Jesus had some sort of rebellion in his heart against himself? No. Jesus, let us not forget, became our redeemer. He became our lawyer. What does a lawyer do when he takes somebody's case? After some time, the lawyer speaks as if he's the, he's the, uh, the person who is indicted. He speaks like his client. He says, your honor, we, we. Remember Daniel, when Daniel was praying to God, he said, we have sinned against you. Daniel never sinned, as we don't know of any. I'm not saying he's not a sinner, but he said, we did all these bad things. Jesus, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is praying for all of humanity. He's not praying for us, but he identified with us. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Jesus is not a sinner. He's God. Nobody could convince him of sin. God cannot sin. Neither will he tempt anybody with sin. James chapter 1, verse 13 makes that clear. Hallelujah. God cannot be tempted with sin. Neither does he tempt anyone with sin. Let that be clear. Amen. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempted he any man. James 1.13. If Jesus is God, which we believe he is. How can we say that Jesus was even tempted to sin? He could sin. It's, it's written here. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted the enemy. So when Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, let not my will, which will, Jesus, is this that you have, which seems to be rebelling? It's the will of humanity. From Adam to the last rebel, each time we rebelled against God, Jesus took our rebellion and he made it his and he subdued it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Nobody could help him. The apostles, the best representatives of humanity, fell asleep. Jesus was alone. He fought the battle alone. He triumphed alone. He tread the winepress of God alone, praise God. That's why we worship him. We praise him. He won the victory alone. There is no trinity with him to, to share this victory. No two other persons. This is the work of the one God, Jesus, and him alone. Hallelujah. He took my rebellious will. And he subdued it in the Garden of Eden. He struggled with it. He's not struggling with his will. He's struggling with our will. It's the only way to make sense of what is going on in the Garden of Eden. Who is Jesus fighting with? Who is he struggling with? As always, God is struggling with us. In the book of Genesis chapter 6, that is what the Bible says. He said, I will no more strive with man. Strive. Somebody say, strive. That means fight, contend. He got tired. Let me tell you, thank God, he is still striving with us through the Holy Ghost. 
that he is still groaning and mourning because the day he stops striving with us is when he will unleash judgment. Hey, Jesus keeps striving with me. You know, once I prayed to the Lord, please don't give up on me. Keep striving, Jesus. Keep fighting, Jesus. Don't abandon me, Jesus. Keep striving. Ha! As long as the Spirit of God is troubling you, is fighting with you, there is hope. The day he stops, we are in trouble. Amen. Keep fighting against my will, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. So, let's read some scriptures in the book of Luke chapter 22, verses 42 to 44. Luke chapter 22, verses 42 to 44. The Bible says, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What is this cup that is uncomfortable for Jesus? It's the rebellion of humanity. Each time we rebel, that's the struggle Jesus is still having with us still today. When he's groaning and moaning. Why is he groaning and moaning? You know, groaning and moaning is not fun. He's fighting somebody, something. And the Bible said, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Agony, brothers and sisters. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Do you think it's comfortable for God to take all our rebellion upon him? The God who doesn't know what rebellion is. Who lives in perfect harmony with his will. He now willingly takes our rebellion. You know, I once saw a documentary about a lawyer, famous lawyer, who talked about what all these cases of evil and crime that he had been exposed to did to him. How painful, how it changed his character. He had nightmares. He really lost hope in humanity. And imagine Jesus becomes the lawyer for the whole world. Eh? The lawyer for Al Capone, for Hitler, for everybody. Wow, that's amazing. Jesus is good. His goodness can swallow all our evil. And he will still be good and pure. Amen. Untainted by our debauchery. That's God. That's God. So Jesus won the victory. That's why he came back and told the apostles, continue sleeping. He won the victory. He doesn't need their help. He didn't get help from anybody. So the cup of the agony, the rebellious will, all are not the Lord's, but ours. This is why Isaiah said, surely he has borne our griefs. The Lord had no sin and no insubordinate will. He was sinless. Amen. And as God cannot even be tempted with sin. Hence, being sinless, he could not be praying for himself. And as I said earlier, he could not be praying to another God. And he, there's no one nature praying in another nature. So the only plausible explanation that makes sense is he was praying for us. And where did his prayers go back to? To himself. Because he's the only God. Amen. There is no one else sitting on the throne in heaven to listen to the prayers. Only Jesus. It says in Revelation chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. When John heard a voice saying, come up here. What happened? He said he was in the spirit. He was in heaven. He saw one throne and one sitting on the throne. Ah, praise God. Therefore, all the prayers of Jesus were going back to him. Amen. Going back to him. The Spirit of God prayed not one, one, member, of the Trinity to an, to an, one member of the Trinity to another. Not one nature praying to another. Amen. Let's summarize this message for today and we will conclude with prayer. Technically speaking, 
the prayers of the Lord Jesus were addressed back to himself as he alone is God. This can be the only logical and sound exegesis, which means critical explanation of a scripture or text. To believe otherwise is to entertain a plurality of gods. This is an abominable thought. There is only one God. We believe that God is one and dwells alone in the mathematical sense of the word. Let's read another scripture from 2 Kings 19 verse 15 to prove that God is, is one and dwells alone. 2 Kings 19 verse 15 says, And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone. Hear, hear what I, Hezekiah says. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Amen. Hezekiah says here, thou art the God, even thou alone. Amen. So the one God who is spirit was manifested in the flesh. John 1.14. God is now spirit, flesh, and blood in one person. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. He not only came to die for our sins on the cross, but he prayed and interceded for us because we are unable to do so. As Paul explains in Romans 8 verse 26. Jesus is still interceding through us today. He brings Zion. Zion is the church into labor. A labor pain. And he causes children to be born through his prayerful labors with tears and sweat. Just as a woman cannot decide the moment, the duration, and the intensity of her labor pains, we cannot know when and how the Lord will labor in prayer through us. Is there a mother who has given birth here who knew at what point she was going to labor? Going, going to labor? No. In the same way, when the church comes together, we don't know at what time Jesus will enter into us through his spirit and begin to pray through us like a, and we will become like a woman in labor pain. And without labor pains, there will be no birth. Jesus will decide the intensity of the pain. He will decide the duration. Is there a mother who decides how long she will be in labor pain? I don't think there's one mother here who decides. Uh, do we have such a technology? I mean, such a uh, you know science and uh, medical science today that we we can determine uh, how long the labor pain will be, how intense, etc. No, you can get some alleviation of the you know of, of the pain uh, in some form or the other, but only God still decides. In the same way, the church should always prepare. We are Zion. Say, I am Zion. At any moment, Jesus can come into you and start laboring in pain, groaning and moaning. You don't know what happened to you. I was telling the church was just yesterday or day before. I woke up. I had many things to do. But the Spirit of the Lord grabbed me. I fell to my knees. I had no idea what was going on. I just knew Jesus is in labor pain. I began to speak in tongues, fell down. It was amazing. You realize you can't do anything. You can't even try to do something. If I try to get up, I'm just speaking in tongues. I go back again. Brrr, hallelujah. Until Jesus is finished. Ah, what a beautiful prayer. There's no prayer like that prayer. Because something is going to be born. Some mighty blessing is going to come. Don't forget we are still Pentecostals. We are still apostolics. We still believe the spirit of God must lead us. Hallelujah. We still believe in being drunk in the Holy Ghost. Holy rollers, hallelujah. These are not just terms that are thrown out there. It is the mercy of God, the blessing of God. The alternative is Ichabod. God leaves us. Have you looked around at some of the churches around today in the world? Ah, it's painful. You'll, you'll, you'll be in tears when you look at their liturgies and the way they, they serve God. Dead. No God in there. Jesus, have your way. Do what you want. Disrupt our services. Hallelujah. 
Amen. Assault us in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Wonderful things happen when the Lord labors in pain and in prayer through us. May every day be the garden of Gethsemane in our souls. Hallelujah. May your soul be the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will begin to pray and labor. Hallelujah. May Jesus, may Jesus labor prayer in you and me. Let's conclude with Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah 66 verses 7, 8, and 9. Isaiah 66 verses 7, 8, and 9. Isaiah 66 verses 7, 8, and 9. The Bible says, Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Wow. Who have heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Hallelujah. Shall a woman, shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord, shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith thy God. Ah, what shall we say? Can we say, labor in us, Jesus. Cry, moan, and groan in me, Jesus. Hallelujah. That would be a blessing for us. Something wonderful will happen in Gethsemane when Jesus will pray through us. I don't trust my prayers. I trust when Jesus will pray through me. Amen. Because I don't know how to pray according to the will of God. But the Spirit itself, say the Spirit itself, the Spirit itself. When you pray, don't try to pray with your own mouth. Amen. Your mouth is talking, yes. But, you know, sometimes I tell my mouth, please be quiet. I'm waiting for the Spirit to come. Amen. Spirit of Jesus, come. Hallelujah. When the Spirit comes, then he took the tongue and prayed on the day of Pentecost. This is how we should pray. Wait for the Spirit to come. And then talk. Hallelujah. Sometimes you are talking, talking, and the Spirit is not there. You know where it's coming from? From the mind. God is not with our mind. He's with the Spirit. In Jesus' name. Can we pray together? Hallelujah.